So continuing my thoughts on aliens who have only seen these two movies, I would think that my other impression as an alien watcher of these two movies is that people make a lot of mouth sounds, whether they're eating, they're drinking alcohol, there's a lot of focus on food, and oftentimes it's really gross. Yeah, um, uh, I know that we had some some problems with Korean name pronunciations in the last episode, but let's just continue it on into this one. I don't know how to pronounce it completely, but Min Sik Choi, uh, the guy who plays the villain, he's he's old boy, Mister Old Boy himself. Yeah, he's he's got a very like he's got a very good way of acting with these like sounds and looks and he just comes across as a very a very skeezy gross person you just don't want to be around old boys old man makes a lot of old man sounds yes um but the person who i thought sounded really gross was taeju his friend but it wasn't oh yeah again again like i said in the previous episode i thought after the many disturbing images in I Saw the Devil that I would get relief from my sassy girl. But no, no, there's there's more eating, vomiting. Just it, it does not let up. And more head trauma too. I just like I like I said, I really think that if I were the alien and it were these two movies. Torture is the Korean love language. Yeah, torture would just be the... You would assume everyone would just be walking around, bonking each other on the head, stumbling through the sidewalk, just bleeding everywhere. You would assume Korea is just a very stumbly, bloody place. We're drinking, we're eating, (laughs) and then we're beating. Right. All right, let's start. Let's do it. What are we? We're Necromancer. I'm Shira. I'm a rom-com fan. I'm Brett. I'm a horror movie fan. Every week, Brett makes me watch a horror, I make him watch a rom-com, and then we like to flip-flop those movies, turn the rom-com into a horror, and the horror into a rom-com. And this week, we are continuing our discussion of Korean cinema with Brett's pick, I Saw the Devil. Now, this is a movie that we've brought up in the past, particularly whenever I've, whenever head trauma has come up. (laughs) I think that that was the thing that I remembered most about this movie in between viewings was that a lot of people get hit over the head and that makes me hurt. Uh, and also coincidentally, head trauma is a common theme in rom-coms, particularly amnesia, where usually the heroine gets knocked out and can no longer remember things and comedy ensues. Coincidentally, 
amnesia is also a melodrama trope in K dramas, but usually it happens in the third act when the uh, when after the couple is together, one of them go, goes into a tragic accident and can no longer remember the other one. Yeah, they get wallied. Their memory gets wiped, and then love has to bring them back together. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Wally so much. Yeah, I know. The, they a lot. There's a lot of people getting wallied uh, in in melodramas. Um, but yeah, oh my god, just completely fierce and disturbing. What, what was your impression rewatching it? Um, definitely. I mean, I think one of the things that, that anyone growing up, up knows it's in all the cartoons, it's in all the stuff, it's cat versus mouse. Cat versus mouse is a very popular genre, but the cat versus cat genre is, 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 is chef's kiss to put it in Shira terms. It's just like, I mean, when, when you've got a revenge thriller, that where both sides are just out to to do the absolute worst things to people, it, it like cat cat versus mouse is a is a fine genre, but the cat versus cat subgenre is that's that's what stuck out to me the most is just the pure pure hatred that these characters have for each other and the lengths they're willing to go to just say you know what you you in particular fuck you and it's like you know and yeah revenge if you're gonna go into revenge you got to go into that fable cautionaryistic kind of territory of like yeah this whole movie upon rewatching it it's been a while since i'd seen it but you know when he's when the good guys got the bad guy at the end of the first fight and the whole movie could just be over. It's, it's just, ah, kill him, put him out of his misery, put him out of your misery, just do it. But no, man, this movie is going to make you, it's the uh, demons. It's the demons thing of forcing you to smoke that whole pack of cigarettes only with demons. The secret was I liked it with this movie. (laughs) (laughs) With this movie, it's like this movie is going to actively make you, regret your decision to sit down and try to get any enjoyment out of watching this movie when it comes to the parts that nor that that like when it comes to the genre parts of this movie you know when it comes to the violence when it comes to that cat versus cat head gamey stuff this movie just really makes you go like ooh. I'm going to have a hard time sitting through this, but then there's so much genre silliness going on that it's like, but at the same time, this movie is really fun. Right? No, I think that it's got, it's got style in spades. I think that it is a very stylish movie, Uh, but to its credit for a country that churns out a lot of big romantic movies and, does farce really, really well, they don't romanticize violence. None of the violence in the movie makes you feel sated or comfortable or like you want to sit there and, and smoke that entire carton of cigarettes. It, it 
sets out to make you deeply disturbed, wounded, and regretful about everything that happened in the movie. And I think, you know what else this movie does that The Mist tried to do but wasn't successful is really truly show you how inescapable violence is and that that this this whole idea of this this just universe doesn't exist yeah there is no just universe there are people acting just and unjust in it um but senseless violence can and does continue yeah uh i completely agree that this uh yeah <laughs> this movie is is simultaneously like a slog but it also you know uh, to me rewatchability is a big aspect of what i find enjoyable in certain kinds of movies in most kinds of movies and in quote-unquote brett movies that i keep coming back to and this movie is not rewatchable because it makes you hate yourself for rewatching it but at the same time you know like once every couple years i could stomach this movie because like you said it's so stylish and there are so many what the fuck moments in this movie that aren't violent related. It's just like, where do you go from here? Like, where do you go from here in a story where the good guy gets the bad guy right in the first half and right. lets him go? Oh, you go to like cannibal mansion house, serial killer underground bloody knife fight territory but it it feels very appropriate though if you were to compare it to say old boy which is also an extended revenge narrative where the revenge takes place across years decades uh and and it's you know completely nutso Whereas, you know, I think in, um, you know, like Rambo, they drew first blood. And so we're going to spend the entire next half of the movie killing people versus this movie, Old Boy, where it's much quieter. Not only is my revenge going to be a dish served cold, it's going to be served so cold, they won't even see it coming. <laughs> it, it just like it. it it's so cold, calculated, um, strategic, thought out in a way that you just don't see in other horror movies and thrillers. Yeah, it's it's very hard to pull off. And I think as we go through, I mean, this is this is a movie that it kind of reminded me a little bit. This this is the first time I've seen this movie since I've seen One Punch Man. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of reminded me of One Punch Man in the aspect of when I first saw I Saw the Devil, I hadn't seen that many Korean horror revenge thrillers. But I knew, I think it's pretty clear right away that when you're watching this movie, this movie is doing something different and special that you you need you need some kind of context to fully understand it 
but you can definitely go along with the thrill ride the first time through if you've never seen any Korean movie. You can definitely get what the movie's going for. But the more appreciation you have for the genre, the more you will find things to go like, oh, that's like they're they're not just making a commentary on revenge. This movie is almost a commentary on the Korean revenge genre itself. Whereas like uh, One Punch Man, I had already seen a lot of the animes that One Punch Man is kind of riffing and spoofing on. I have I, I had failed out of a bunch of the animes that One Punch Man is riffing and spoofing on because I I just like I can't get into Dragon Ball Z. I tried. I I tried so hard. You know, I I liked it as a kid. I just can't do it now. I've, there's so many animes that I've tried to get into, but I couldn't do it because it's just too anime. But then One Punch Man comes along and it does it. And One Punch Man is so anime. It's like you need all those references to fully understand it. But at the same time, I don't need I don't need to watch every anime One Punch Man is going off of to get it because that show does it so well. You do bring up a good point, though. It would be interesting to find out what movies inspired or led up to I Saw the Devil. I mean, certainly um, the actor who plays Kyung Chul, the serial killer, he clearly got picked for this role after Old Boy. Right. Uh, I don't think that they were directed by the same person. No. I'm pretty sure that they're not. Um, but clearly that movie went on to be a huge success and that, raised his profile and made him a really good pick for this role uh, because clearly the guy's got range. Yeah. I, um, I think I'm, I don't know too much about the Korean revenge horror movie genre, but I would almost say like, so this movie came out in 2010. Let me look up super quick. When did old boy come out? Old boy came out in 2003 so it, it kind of makes sense that this movie feels, I don't want to say, it it's almost feels like a satire, right? If I'm using that word right. Like I think it's, it's way too brutal to be anywhere close to a satire. Yeah, but a satire oh. is something that leans so into the thing that it's making a commentary on the thing, right? So like this movie doesn't quite have the comedic, connotation that satire might come with it but i think i think this movie is just as much a sort of cinematic commentary on the korean revenge as it is a philosophical commentary on just revenge in and of itself like i i think i think if i if i sat down and watched 10 korean revenge movies and then watched this movie again I could probably come out with a little bit. I think the more the the more Korean revenge movies you watch, the more you would like this movie. Probably is the best way to say it. I just think in general, the more Korean revenge revenge movies, the better. Yeah, they know how to make a revenge movie. <laughs> they certainly they do. All right. Well, let's. Let us get into the story of I Saw the Devil. This is also a two hour and 20 minute movie. So I'm going to try to get through this summary really quickly, but it's going to be hard. So 
Jang Juyan is stranded on a snowy country road waiting for a tow truck when a school bus driver, Kyung Chul, offers to help. Juyun refuses his offer and she can sense that there's there's something that's not quite right about this guy. And in general, I do think that you should rely on your intuition and any random stranger who's like overly nice and goes out of their way to help you is pretty generally suspicious because most of the time everybody has places to be. Nobody wants to really help a stranger unless it just really nags your conscience. Um, so people who are too friendly, I'm always suspicious of, and rightfully so. Uh, but she quickly finds out that she's correct when Kyung Chul breaks into the car and just mercilessly knocks her out. It's it's so violent right off the bat. Um, and we we were we just watched the mist, and at the end of the mist, I mean, I guess spoilers for the end of the mist, but th- there's there's a scene where a character makes eye contact with another character and then is brutally murdered. <laughs> you know, we don't we don't quite see it on screen in the same way in The Mist, but that movie ends with a, a very intimate eye-to-eye, con- like, eye contact murder scene. And this movie starts with a very intimate eye contact murder scene. And the two could not be any more different because the mist is very infamous for its ending. And this movie, this is how it's setting the pace. This is the starting gun of the movie is like intimate eye to eye contact, head trauma, brutal, senseless murder. (laughs) But you bring up something that, that I did think about earlier when you were talking, which is who is this movie for? And this is, I mean, this is for, like, I don't want to watch I Saw the Devil again for a long time. But if I were talking to a friend who's like, yeah, I just like really fucked up movies. I just, I just want to see something that's really fucked up and crazy. And they're, they're looking at BuzzFeed lists of movies with the craziest twists. I would go to that person and say, oh, watch The Mist, watch I Saw the Devil. You'll get your kicks off of that for sure. Because I think that like there is somebody out there, multiple peoples out there who just want to be mind fucked. That's really what this comes down to. This is a mind fuck movie and the fuckery starts from the very beginning. Um so, and the fuckery continues with Ju Yun waking up in Kyung Chul's murder room. She's begging for her life. She confesses that she's pregnant. So, again, you're just twisting the knife. Uh, and then Kyung Chul, he's unperturbed. He executes her. And we have some nice banality of evil moments where he just goes about his routine. Uh, and then later, some kids playing under a bridge find Ju Yun's severed ear, the police come, they identify her body, and we learn that Ju Yun is the daughter of a respected police chief, Jang. Jang shares with Ju Yun's fiancé, Su Hyun, the three main suspects. Su Hyun, a National Intelligence Service, asks for just two weeks leave. All he needs is two weeks. Uh, and I, think, I think this is a nice little detail, but I think he asks... He, he gets four suspects. 
Oh yeah. And the but, fourth one is just this loose end that never gets resolved. And I, I kind of like those little touches like that. It's very, it, it fits the genre. It right. Fits the tone. So he's got his suspects. He eliminates the first two suspects uh, by stalking, beating, and savagely interrogating them. Extremely proficiently, he <laughs> he gets rid of them. Did you hurt when you saw him smash that guy's nuts? Oh, yeah. It's just, I mean, there are some CGI touches on this film. Like, I think that you could have cut away instead of using technology to actually show some guys nuts getting destroyed or later somebody being brutally hit over the head. I don't think we needed to see those things, but apparently people in Korea have both weaker and stronger stomachs. I think there are, I think this is the kind of movie where it does need to show it like hiding. It isn't the tone that this movie's going for, but the, the CGI-ness of it, there, there's definitely got to be other ways to show it, I would but think. How but how much violence do we need to see to get it? That's what I'm saying. Because it's two hours and 20 minutes. It could have been an hour and a half. I, I don't think that I, I, we needed to see... St- <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it's long. This is, like, not only is this a movie where I would just unreservedly recommend it to anybody I know who's like, I want to be mind fucked. I would never show this to my precious peer of heart friends. I would, I, I like, there are people who aren't going to be able to listen to this episode because it's so awful. Um, and I say that even though I'm the person that recommended we watch Martyrs, I'm I'm full of contradictions. Um, so meanwhile, Kyung Chul kills another victim. Uh, and it just proves again that he just does not give a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Su Hyun, he closes in on Kyung Chul around the same time as the police, which is a nice bit of irony because pretty much at the same time as he wants to exploit his revenge, if he had done nothing at all, the police right. still would have caught him. Um, and Kyung Chul, he recognizes he's about to be arrested as he's dropping off the last student on his school bus. So instead, he takes her to a remote location to rape and kill her. So Hyun interrupts Kyung Chul as he's assaulting the student. He breaks Kyung Chul's arm, knocks him out, and shoves the tracker down Kyung Chul's throat. I didn't mention this, but one of, um, one of Su Hyun's tech buddies gives him a digestible tracker. Yeah. Um, and so and now this scene is like, you've seen boondock saints, right? Yes. Uh, Willem Dafoe crazy. And then there was a firefight. Like if someone were to describe, or if someone were to ask me what, what happens at this point in the movie, I'd be like, and then there was a greenhouse fight. I'm like, this scene is nuts. This scene is so fucking nuts. You know, it's just bonkers, man. The, the scoring for this movie is all over the place. For example, in the first part of the movie, there's this sweeping string orchestral score, and then they have this really pulsing, um, percussive score going on during the greenhouse fight. So it's very genre mixy. 
um, the way that the way that they do the the scoring and the music for the movie. Um, so now, um, blah, blah, blah. Oh. So he's got the tracker in him. Now Soo Hyun can track his location and hear Kyung Chul, whatever Kyung Chul is saying over his headphones. But he basically, he lets him go. Uh, and then Kyung Chul comes to, he gets picked up by a taxi and he quickly realizes that the two men in the taxi are not the driver and passenger, but other killers. Cause there's, so there's just killers all over the place. This um, is, this is one of the things that like, I think people really loved about John Wick, right? Which is you, this movie takes place in the real world. But it's like it's like the insect world. You know what I mean? Like we humans are going about living our lives. You know, I, I wake up, I shower, I eat, I brush my teeth, I go to work, I come home. Like I, I, I have this human routine and we think that life is very human based in that regard. But then if you watch like an animal documentary, if you watch something like phase four, you're like, oh, shit there's this entirely other brutal world that lives like, it's not like a parallel universe. It lives right underneath us. Like the insect world is a very brutal, brutal world. And just like in John wick, how they have assassins everywhere. This movie is just filled with this underworld of serial killers. Right, they're everywhere. You pull one serial killer and you'll find a dozen more hiding in the rock below him. And so the previous scene, Willem Dafoe voice, it was a greenhouse fight. This scene, it was a stabby fight. Uh, I love the hidden in plain sight underworld movies. I think it's... uh, that's That's a subgenre or a little touch that you could put on a movie that really... It, it amps things up exponentially. Sam Fuller does movies like that. Uh, there is a movie called, uh, I think it's called Underworld USA. It's one of my favorites, but it's another, it's a revenge thriller where this guy as a kid witnesses his dad getting kicked to death by these mob bosses. And then as soon as he gets out of prison, he's going to go kill the rest of them. But then he turn he finds out that the gang in that last 10 years has gone straight. And now right. the sort of mobs of today run corporations and have these sort of legitimate veils for their um, criminal enterprises. They're, you know, pillars of the community, but really they are, are sitting on top of this seedy underworld. I'm going to have to uh, check that one out. That sounds oh, right up my alley. Underworld USA is is really, I, I really, I love Sam Fuller. So does Sonia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great movie. Um, so Stabby Fight, Kyung Chul wins. And then he later finds the de- the real taxi driver dead in the trunk. Right. He goes to get medical treatment and then he decides to assault the doctor's nurse. And this part of the movie made me so angry because in already in Soo Hyun's revenge fantasy or his revenge plot, there have been multiple bystanders who have gotten hurt as a result. For example, the girl in the greenhouse and now the nurse and other people later, 
because of his selfish revenge quest, he has created the opening for Kyung Chul to cause even more destruction. Very poetic. whoever it, it's very, very whoever fights monsters, you might become one, or right. however the quote goes. Um, so just as he's assaulting the nurse, Su Hyun comes in again, uh, beats the crap out of Kyung Chul, uh, pierces his Achilles tendon. Uh, and tells him his troubles are only beginning. So Kyung Chul goes back to the house of his other serial killer friends, Teju, a cannibal, and his girlfriend, Sejun, who has no lines, but I'm just infinitely curious about. Uh, if, if This movie could be, I mean, I know I've brought it up a bunch in the past few episodes, but like HBO is just killing it with their, their limited series. And this... This is limited series. I could get a whole backstory on her, like a, a Quentin Tarantino, Oren Ishii level backstory on how we got to her and 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 all that. Like you're like, right. What's she's, her deal? Like not, if he's a cannibal and Kyung Chul is into the whole BTK playbook, what's what's her deal? Yeah, she's got very little screen time. She does not do a lot with her screen time as a character, but as an actress and the way that they film her, you're right. There is definitely something eye-catching about her because I do want to know more about her. Yeah, it's not just the perm. So <laughs> Teju tells Kyung Chul that he really fucked up because clearly this guy coming after him is a killer like them. And what makes the scene, you know, more dramatic is the fact that Su Hyun is listening to Taejun's monologue through the bug. So Su Hyun infiltrates the house. He subdues Taejun, his girlfriend. He beats the shit out of Kyung Chul again. Um, and Teju and Seyun are arrested while Su Hyun and Kyung Chul are treated in a separate place. Su Hyun then makes a fatal error. He and his techie friend who gave him the bug talk about it while Kyung Chul overhears. So once Su Hyun drops Kyung Chul off again, Kyung Chul shits out the tracker, shoves it down somebody else's throat, and escapes before Su Hyun can capture him. Kyung Chul then calls the police and tells them that he's turning himself in. So Su Hyun, oh, such an anime villain bad guy move. So Eastern. It's so you thought- Eastern. Just because you killed me that I was dead? <laughs> so great. Um, so I'm going to turn myself in and I'm going to win. <laughs> like, uh. Right. No, they're playing 40 chess at this point. Yeah. Uh, and so Su Hyun goes to the hospital. He interrogates Teju. Teju tells him that Kyung Chul is going to go after his family before he turns himself in. Su Hyun then violently pulls Taejun's mouth apart in retaliation for Whoa. him taunting him about Sejun or Su Hyun's uh, dead fiance. So, so Su Hyun arrives at Chief Jang's house too late. Jang and his other daughter have been killed. Kyung Chul goes to surrender and thus avoids Su Hyun's revenge. So Su Hyun then, in the middle of an intersection, kidnaps <laughs> Kyung Chul <laughs> as the police are closing in. This is like very. Minutes left of the movie. This is so oh melodramatic. I mean, first of all, there were multiple takes of um, Kyung Chul just standing in traffic, covered right. in blood, 
holding his arms up. The orchestral strings are swelling. And then this car drives in and captures him. So Su Hyun then takes Kyung Chul back to his murder room and tortures him, demanding that he show fear and forgiveness. But Kyung Chul is a cold motherfucker. He insists that he is never going to break. Uh, so Su Hyun leaves Kyung Chul with a rope in his mouth that has been rigged to drop a guillotine if Kyung Chul lets go. And then the twist is the rope is also tied to the door so that if anybody opens that door from the outside, it's going to pull the rope out of Kyung Chul's mouth. So Su Hyun listens over his earphones as Kyung Chul's parents and son try to open the door and Kyung Chul begs them not to. Kyung Chul lets go of the rope and then he's decapitated. His head rolls to his son's feet and the family screams in terror. Su Hyun walks outside and finally allows himself to sob in grief. The end. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that, that's where the movie ends. We don't even know if Suhyun gets arrested for all of the stuff he did or if he it just does. has carte blanche because he's an NIS agent. Um, it's just completely unclear. I, um, yeah, I, th- this movie is, is, is super awkward because I feel like I need to watch more Korean crime dramas to understand the first 30 minutes and last 30 minutes of this movie, maybe a little better, but I I definitely think that maybe they're going for like, again, if I was some kind of Korean film historian, I might be able to better give you a roadmap of what this movie's trying to do. Korean film historians right in. uh, It definitely seems like they're going Korean crime drama and then they do a, a complete left turn into mega revenge torture porn territory. And then to conclude it, they have to go back into the Korean crime drama territory. And I agree. Like the, the first 30 minutes, the last 30 minutes could be condensed or, or edited out or something. I feel like the I Saw the Devil, the meat of this movie, the, the middle hour and a half, that's that's where it's at and and the fact that they tried to bloat it out a bit it i i get what they're going for but i don't know it's i just wish chief jang and his other daughter why did they have to die yeah it's because that's you know that's the epic mythic quality of the there's nothing good that comes out of revenge you know like if you want to there's no good way to enjoy a, a real revenge movie uh, this movie also reminded me a little bit of Death Note in that Death Note is a 26 episode anime and it does it's very not, cat versus cat. It's very cat versus cat, but it also, it just doesn't stick the landing. And that is by proxy of like, or not by proxy, but that that is just sort of, if you watch that Death Note, you can very clearly tell there's no way that you can stick this landing. There's, there's a shark. No way. There's a shark jumping moment, and I'm going to say that it's the moment, if I remember correctly, in Death Note. Out of context, this isn't a spoiler, but they put the notebook on a missile or a rocket ship and launch it into space. 
I don't remember that. That might have happened after the part. This is part of the the M and N era. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I I definitely think the first half, right, the L era of Death Note is the L saga. Death Note is worth the twenty six episodes for the thirteen episode L arc. Even though you know that it's going to go downhill from there, I think this movie is the same way. I think, I think the taxi scene, the 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 mansion scene. I mean, the mansion the scene mansion is, scene is is really the meat of this movie. No right. pun intended. <laughs> the mansion scene is more or less the climax of the movie, and then it's just it just becomes a bloated Korean revenge melodrama from there. And like, there's, there's just no way they're going to stick the landing. They got, they got a very big monologue about true revenge. This movie should have just been called true revenge. If I know that there's going to be an American remake, maybe of this movie. And that also seems like a very bad idea. Like true revenge. That's the, that's really the name of this movie. If I had to pick one, uh, Revenge, true revenge. I, yeah, I don't think the movie sticks the landing, but I think it's definitely worth the ride. Um, lots of fun to be had. The, the The taxi scene blows my mind every time I watch this movie. It's so well executed, and it's well. What are the odds? Right. Just again, just the fact that this movie is like. It, it gives you all the little the little teasers, the little appetizers to go, hey, these two crazy serial killer character types, we're going to give them an entire world, an entire sandbox to play in. And I, I'm there for the sandbox. That's why like, I love the John Wick movies, but if they can pull off this continental TV show, Thing that they're going to try to do where it's like focused just on the hotel and you get, I don't know, snippets of different, different assassins and stuff like, yeah, I saw the devil like that. TV show where like, you're just in a murder mansion with all these different serial killers. I mean, I am, I am game, man. I, I do like that idea. And I, I have written several pitches about competitive weirdos or people who like when I, I like the uh, while, while you were sleeping horror, I did, they were both serial killers. Right. And that's, yeah. From the very beginning, uh, I think you're the one who brought up cat versus cat. I saw the devil and I was like, I just, I wouldn't have as, as a, "Quote unquote," Shira, a rom com fan. I didn't know that you had already dove headfirst into "I Saw the Devil" when we when we started this podcast, and when you name dropped it, I was like, "Oh shit!" Right? Fuck well, yeah. Remember, like, <laughs> remember how I was describing that potential friend who'd be like, "Oh, just give me movies that are gonna mind fuck me." Right. Um, I'm also that person. Me too. Uh, me too. So. I, I think I mentioned this a long, long time ago when I was in college and we didn't have money to buy movies, which I do now. And so I do, but a friend of mine gave me his, it, it gave me his digital storage and said, here, copy all of these movies I've downloaded and you can have them for yourself. And I saw the devil was one of the movies he gave me. So thanks, yeah. Mrak. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, I think it's, I just thought it was very cool that like, just the same way that I recommended Bride Wars and you were like, when I, when I first texted you about it and stuff, it what? was like, what? what? Like Brett watched Bride Wars? Like I didn't know you too, too well. I didn't know your, your movie tastes and experience too well at the beginning of the podcast. And man, when, when you referenced, I saw the devil, I was like, oh shit. We're we're in good hands because. Well, we you know we're we're complex, multi-dimensional right? people, and we have our specializations. But we know right. that a lot comes out of uh, out of meeting different things. You know, one thing I want to bring up though that I thought was special about this movie is how many kind of visually interesting shots. There were. Oh yeah. Uh, and you okay? You'll have to help me with this. Um, what is the actual technical name for? I guess what I would refer to as the searcher's shot, meaning you know the shot in the searchers where John Wayne stands in the doorway and then he leaves, but it's you know this frame within a frame. Uh, does that have a name? I was just going to say f- probably just frame within a frame. Um, but searcher's shot, I think just like vertigo shot, right? Is like when I say vertigo shot, you know, it's the the zoom in dolly out kind of effect. Ah, uh, yeah. Like even though that that existed before and after vertigo, it was like, eh, it's the vertigo shot. I think, yeah. You wouldn't be wrong to go to any film school and say the searcher shot and people would go, yep, I, I know. What you you mean. know, the thing you did <laughs> in the searchers. <laughs> but I feel like we saw that a lot and I never got tired of it. It, 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 it was used very well here. Because again, it was like that we're, we're in the real world, but then the frame within the frame, that hidden world, that insect world that, that is invisible to us yet in plain sight it like it, it does a great job of inviting us in and giving us that slow look that slow it, that slow introduction into the fact that like this is an entirely different world um it, it to mirror that shot i liked when he was looking at the photographs of his potential suspects and and john chul was the next one on the list and he's like, listen, I just killed this other guy. I'm going to go to bed. Camera follow tracks over as he goes to bed. He goes to bed, frame within a frame. He, he turns off the light. We sit in silence. And then he turns the light back on. He sits up, takes a moment to pause, slowly walks back over to the photo, takes the photo down, looks at the photo. And it's this very, again, it's it, it reminds me of a very kind of Odysseus, mythical, epic quality of like, Oh, you have no idea the the journey you're about to go on. You know, if if only you could have just let it go, this whole thing could have been avoided. But he feels compelled. You know, he can't even sleep. He just got done murdering two people brutally, murdering two people, and he's like, "I, I just got to get it over with." You know, and and yet, I don't. Know. I mean, the movie is beautiful, but it also is a little. It is a little college student pretentious you know. I, I could see I could see people being extremely turned off by this movie for a number of reasons. I just think that the content of this movie is 
deeply, deeply disturbing. And I, I would not fault anybody who wants to opt out of this film and say, ah, it's not for me. But if you are strong of heart and stomach and your triggers aren't these ones, um, then yeah, this is going to be an experience. I also just, I felt like there were so many little touches in the movie, like the blue wings on his rear view mirror on, on the killer's rear view mirror and how, um, they're, they're primed to light up at night, but you get this kind of almost tense moment where the lights come on, just as he's realizing that the police are closing in. So the angel's wings light up just as the devil is about to go to work. And in old boy, there's like an angel wing backpack at the beginning of the movie. That's kind of called back to at the end. And so again, when you're talking about like a Korean roadmap for this movie, a Korean film roadmap to this movie, I don't know that that's intentional, but it is a very cinematic, poetic thing that this guy who's playing a, a character in a revenge thriller, old boy, that has these angel wing motifs, is now playing a twisted version. It, it's it's like um, it's like Rock Hudson playing a guy called Tex. What was his name in the in the Rex Stetson? Yeah, it's like it's like King it's, Cowboy had. <laughs> It's, it's like if, if you if you don't know who Rock Hudson is and you don't know what the genre is, a guy named Rock Hudson playing Rex Stenson, it, it, it just like you get that there's something there, but uh, you don't quite fully appreciate it until you know all of his movies and his his backgrounds. I feel the same way. Chin Min Soy or uh, Choi Min Sik. Like there's got to be some kind of connection there with the angel wings and the the theme and like this perversion of like they got this character to play or this actor to play this character with this motif. Like it can't just be a coincidence, but if it is a coincidence, uh, it's pretty cool. I just, again, and there's all these little touches, like uh, the way that he sort of portrays this character's petty narcissism, the way that he brushes his hair and applies his skincare uh, and talks down to his elders while sort of fetishizing youthful women. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a lot of great stuff. There's also some weird stuff. There's there's weird humor when the head rolls out of the box. Just bizarre. Again, I feel like that's got to be some kind of commentary on Korean. You know, like it's it's got to be a, it's got to be a meta commentary. I feel like if not, it's just an odd choice. But then when uh when the cannibal guy's got his hand impaled and he's trying to take the ice pick out and the handle pops off like. Oh, I can't help but crack up at that. Like, that's just a funny scene, you know? Like, that was a good bit of black comedy. And to Teju's credit, I will say (laughs) that he has much better classical music taste than uh, the the people from My Sassy Girl because he was listening to Carmen, which Uh. is probably one of the better operas. Very interesting. Um, I, I think uh, we're starting to get into crush territory. I know that classical so. music is 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 one way into Shira's heart. 
Uh, but also disgusting eating really rules you out. I, I feel like there <laughs> is so something, there is something wrong with me because I can be disturbed, but sit through scenes of really awful head injuries. Um, but the scene where I'm like, I, I can't watch this. I am, I am out of here is when people eat gross. Yeah. Um, oh, um, the, uh, uh, perfect blue. Remember how how I said my my crush was the the stalker in that because the moment uh-huh. you see the stalker, you're like in an anime sense, a visual sense. You're like, yes, that guy is bad news. This actor who plays Teju uh, Mu Seong Choi, like, holy fuck! Perfect casting, perfect execution. The moment you see him, you're just like, and and the way he oozes serial killer cannibal creepiness it's just oh i love it man he's not my crush but i i I could probably say i have two crushes in this movie he's definitely a contender for sure he oh man but how about you what's your for me despite the fact that his quest for revenge leaves everyone either dead or injured my heart really goes out to Soo Hyun. I hope that if I'm killed by a serial killer, that Doug has the nerve to go on a rampage. I mean, I'd prefer not my not to have my family be hurt, but you know, I that's the kind of love that I'm 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 not I'm not I I don't hate it. I also thought it was really cute at the very beginning of the movie. He has to sing to her and he goes to another room to sing to her. And then he's really embarrassed because his coworkers catch him and he has to stop. And then he whispers, I love. So this is a guy who has a lot of romantic depth. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I agree. It was, you know, he wears the shit out of those leather parkas. Oh Yeah. He not only is the movie filmed stylishly, but everyone looks super cool in the movie all throughout. Even when uh, the bad guys got his like soccer jersey on, which was a funny little bit, right? Like uh, you're a little too old to be playing soccer this rough. And it's like a church soccer league too. Yeah, even just the way he wears it. It's like he just looks so cool, even though he's a bad guy. I guess especially because he's a bad guy. Bad guys are always pretty cool. So is that uh, is that your crush? No, I'm going to go. My crush is, it's a little bit more of, um, uh, I, I don't know how to explain this crush, but my, my, my crush is Section Chief O. Oh, the police chief who's trying to like, trying to catch up to all of this tomfoolery happening. Yeah. So it's it's just it's that thankless that guy. This role of like, but he's the audience surrogate of just that that idea of like, just stop it, just stop doing this. Like you just want to yell at the main character and give him a few smacks and go snap out of it. And he's got this great cliche dialogue of how he does it. You know, he's he's just he's full of cliches. His role is very thankless. His role is very. Um, it's very utilitarian. Like he serves a purpose in the story. He, he's, he's not a very drawn out character, very one dimensional, 
But when characters, when writers can write it and directors can direct it and characters can can act it or actors can act it, it's there, there's just something about that kind of role that I really like. It, it's it's the kind of hidden spice that really adds to a movie. If you can make a henchman stand out in just a, a, a way like that, if you can make a section chief kind of stand out in the way that this guy stands out, this poor guy... Just trying to keep it together. <laughs> right. No, my my heart goes out to Chief O, too. Yeah, I feel like uh, if, if they did do a, an anime or TV show type version, uh, he would be the character who would give the next time on segments. Absolutely. He would be like, he, he just every, every next time on would be a little vignette of him going more and more insane as he's like, I don't know what to do. These serial killers keep coming out of the woodworks and murdering people. And I don't know. And they just keep dying and there's nothing I can think they're killing each other and they're killing innocent people. And I don't, and it would just, the, the next time on would be less about next time on and just more about his descent into utter madness. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to know what, again, what theme you pulled on, what, what, what route you went down. Cause I, f- I feel like I struggled with this one more until, until again, I found that, that, that right extra little spice to, to put it in perspective. I think for me, the thing that I decided to keep as a connector is this idea that there is a network of specialized people. So mm-hmm. in I Saw the Devil, there's this huge network of serial killers that all seem to know each other or hang out around the same place, like California in the 1970s. Um, but I took with that, except... In this premise, since it's a rom-com, this network of people are matchmakers. (laughs) So the name of this movie is I'm With Cupid. Ha ha. I get Um, it. And in the modern era, Cupid, the god of love, delegates matchmaking to his network of descendants all over the world. If someone is a descendant of Cupid, they will be conscripted as one of Cupid's arrows and require to match make people with their soulmates. Soo Hyun, a Korean NIS agent, learns that he is an arrow on his 25th birthday. So much like an anime, somebody realizes that they're the chosen one on a particular date. Uh, and he is assigned a mentor, Jang. And in addition to his regular job, now Soo Hyun must fill his matchmaking quota on the side, and he also has to decide on a love specialization. Jong also shows uh, Soo Hyun how to see the red strings of fate that tie people together. So how do we find soulmates? Well, we follow the strings. Um, and then Soo Hyun asks Jang why the arrows don't have any strings of fate on their hands, and Jang doesn't answer. So there's a nice little opening act mystery. And then Jang introduces Soo Hyun to the other arrows living and working in Seoul and the surrounding areas, along with their specialization. So you've got Kyung Chul 
who is an older Cupid's arrow like Jang, and his focus is on second chance romance. He helps lost loves find each other. Or people who are already married, because sometimes in a long relationship, you need to renegotiate. It's very common. Uh, Seyun, Jung's daughter, she specializes in opposites attract. So her whole deal is bringing enemies together and people who don't realize that they belong together. And then the other Cupid's arrow that we get introduced to is Song Yi, a hospital nurse who helps wallflowers and shy people find love. Isn't that cute? Yeah, it's like serial killers have their own little gimmicks and specialties, but they're matchmakers. Brett, they're called signatures. Uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> I had to. I had to have my uh, my true my true crime expertise right. um, snob moment. Um, but uh, so, Mindhunter, by the way, is a really good book. Uh, so Suhyun, he's not really the romantic type. So he's got no idea what he's going to choose for a specialization. He's hopeless at helping people. Maybe we'll start off with some comic scenes of Suhyun shadowing Jang and just doing everything wrong. Uh, and But eventually he starts to find his groove. And then it's revealed that Suhyun has a secret passion for music and singing. And he begins to think about perhaps doing a specialization where his whole deal is love through music. Uh, and this is also when he sees Ju Yan, a woman who has no string of fate, because I guess some people don't have them. Uh, so Jang tells him that some people, they don't have them, um, but these and these are really tricky cases to figure out matchmaking for. Uh, and, and then Suhyun brings up again that, well, we don't have them either. And that's when Jang tells him, arrows don't have soulmates. And Suhyun is just dumbfounded. Is there no one to love the ones that create love? Maybe that can be in the, <laughs> maybe that can be in yep. the trailer for the movie. Oh yeah. Um, and so Suhyun is is shook, but he gets started on trying to find Juyun a match. And then as he comes to observe her, kind of like Wings of Desire or something like that, he starts to fall in love with her. Uh, then he contrives to meet her and spend time with her. And then maybe he discovers a musician who also doesn't have a fate string, but then he is not sure about introducing them because he wants Juyun for himself. Mm -hmm. um, but then things go to hell when Jang finds out that Suhyun is falling for, basically they consider them clients, even though the people don't know that they have these cupids matchmaking for them. They're, they're talked about like clients and you're crossing an important boundary when you fall in love with a client in pretty much any profession where you have clients. Um, and so he forbids Suhyun from seeing Juyun again, and he threatens to make Juyun forget that Suhyun even existed if he does break this rule. Mm -hmm. um, and then Kyung Chul is assigned to Juyun to see if he can find a long lost love to bring back to her. So Suhyun 
goes through the pouty sad walk about town, and he bumps into Song Yi, who's observing one of her shy people receive a love declaration. Su Hyun brings up what Jang told him about how they don't have soulmates and how it makes him upset. And Song Yi's like, no, you don't get it. If you don't have a soulmate, you're free to become one to the person you choose to love. Not oh. all people... Not all people are tied together by fate. Some people aren't finished becoming who they're meant to be. Uh, and so he realizes he wants to be with Ju Yun no matter the consequences. He goes to Zhang and tells him, even if it means that they only have one day together, I, I leaned into the melodrama here too. I just, oh. <laughs> I, I just felt like it was appropriate. Yeah, um, when in but, Korea, do yeah, as the exactly. <laughs> So even if they only have one day together, he wants to spend it with her. Jang doesn't seem like he's going to relent, but then Kyung Chul comes in and Kyung Chul has a yearbook and he opens it to a page that shows the young Soo Hyun and Ju Yun playing basketball. And then Kyung Chul claims that he's done the research and he is sure that they met previously even if they don't remember and that they are soulmates, that this is their second chance. Uh, and so Jung accepts it. We get the big, you know, chase to see your lover. He gets to Ju Yun. We get, he sings her the pretty song. There's romance, flowers, fireworks, but absolutely no Pachelbel's canon. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead, maybe it's meditation from Thais. I think that would be much better. Um, But later, Soo Hyun is having a drink with Kyung Chul, and he says, hey, I never went to that school, and I don't remember any of this stuff that you brought up. And that's when Kyung Chul smiles and says, I just thought you two deserved a second chance. So in this version, they're friends, and he helps him. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it's kind. Of, it kind of reminded me of uh, what's your number in in that aspect of like, you know, you're you're fo- you're so focused on this one thing that you kind of forget that like that doesn't really matter. And then at the mm-hmm. end of the movie, it's like you get you get it, but then it doesn't really matter. Anyway, you're like, "Eh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if we're soulmates or not. Like we, we are soulmates. Right. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So I like that. That's your, your idea is probably like one of the many ideas that I had in my head. Oh, like a Cupid agency? Yeah. Just like your entire movie is just, you said this came very easily to you. Yeah. Pretty easily. Actually. I would say, I would say your rom-com idea came easy to me, but if I were to try to execute it the same way, it would be a mess. Like, I think it's just, I, I, th- I it's, I, I'm trying to compliment you in your, in your rom-com formula riffing in, in your, your, your knowledge of the genre. Um, it's kind of like, you know, soundboards, those things people used for prank calls yeah. where you could get a soundboard of someone's voice and there's all these different Arnold. stock phrases. Arnold. Yeah, of course. Arnold has a soundboard. I have a rom-com trope 
soundboard in my right. brain and I know which buttons to hit. And I feel like the same thing clear. is true for you, but with horror and with action, you've got right. the soundboard and you know when to hit which button. Yeah. I think it's, I, I, your movie is infinitely better than what I would have come <laughs> up with. Uh, and so I, 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 I kind of, I kind of assumed that you were going to come up with a good movie that was like <laughs> light and fun and good. So I, I tried so hard to come up with like, uh, I never saw a marriage. Uh, did you ever see a marriage story? Is that the one with Scarlett Johansson and, and what's his name? Kyle yes. Rex. I've only seen the memes and I don't know. That movie just seems like a, a deeply, you know, I, I might be willing to rewatch I Saw the Devil before I'd be willing to watch a realistic human drama about people's failing relationship. To me, that's actually more unbearable than unspeakable yeah. violence. Uh, I kind of, I, I have never seen a marriage story either, but I kind of assumed that the movie had, uh, who, who's the guy who directed a marriage story? Isn't it that indie guy? Noah Baumbach or no? I mean, it seems like the kind of movie he would make. Um, so I kind of wanted to go with like a marriage story esque vibe of yeah. So it's Noah Baumbach. He's he, Noah Baumbach makes funny movies, right? But they're they're dark comedies or weird comedies or like I don't know how to describe Noah Baumbach comedies because. Uh, I don't know. They're they're not my kind of movie, but I've seen a bunch of them. I've seen a handful of them, and I can appreciate them. I can appreciate that kind of awkward comedy. Uh, I, I wanted to try to do a movie where, like, it, you're witnessing the breakup of a couple, and they wanted to hurt each other as much as possible, but we could do it in, like, a very dark, comedic way. And at the end of the movie, it becomes less about them trying to hurt each other and more about them just realizing oh, if I just spent all this time and energy devoting all this attention to myself, I could actually become a better person instead of trying to destroy this other person's life. But I couldn't figure out how to make that into a rom-com. Like, even if it was a dark rom-com, even if it was like a, a really awkward, brutally dark comedic rom-com. So instead, I just had to throw that idea out completely. <laughs> And so my idea is just a, a little bit of like, kind of like breadcrumbs of what might have fallen off of your movie. Okay. Uh, mine, mine is the crumbs of your movie. I'm thinking of the, the movie is called The Proposal Game. And Ooh. very nice. And so I did, I did put some Bride Wars inspiration into this movie. Uh, and I named the characters Kim and Jim just because I'm bad with names and I didn't want to butcher Korean names any more than I had to. My, my idea here is that like Kim or Jim or whoever they, one lives in New York, one lives in LA and kind of like in your movie, how there's this whole hidden world of, of cupids in my, in my movie, there's like this, this industry of proposals Right. Like, you know how you go on Reddit and you'll see like, oh, uh, like I, viral proposals. Yeah. Like viral proposals. Like, oh, I'm a video game designer. So I designed a video game for my 
for my girlfriend to play where she plays through our first date. And then at the end it says, will you go into co-op mode with me? You know, something stupid and silly. Christ, that would be a really intricate proposal to plan because you probably need multiple game developers. And then you also need to QA test that game. It's just terrible. Right. But These people are at like the top of their game. So they call in favors. They can call in a favor from the head of, well, maybe not EA. EA, we all know, is garbage, right? Like, I don't know too much about video games, but I know EA is bad. Uh, But whatever is a good video game company, Naughty Dog, I guess, uh, they they pull in a favor. That game company. (laughs) Probably Nintendo. Nintendo makes wholesome games. Um, And so... So it's just, you know, it's more about the, it's, 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 we, we get these characters who are all about the flash of showing you what romance, what, what, what other people think romance is. And it's very sweet and it's very good for those two people who are getting married. And it's very nice to spread that joy in the world. But the characters of Kim and Jim are flawed because they're too focused on the viral sensation of, doing what they think is best for other people. And that's what makes them good at their job. But when they both moved to, I was going to say Chicago, but then I was like, fuck it. If we're going to choose a city in the middle, I can just choose Austin. I live in Austin represent. Right. So they both proposed to Austin on the same day. They don't know it. Right. It's a big surprise. Like they, they reveal these billboards and they've got like this whole hashtag thing. And it's like, you know how Joe Rogan is coming to Austin and it made news it's like, what if Kim was coming to Austin? What if Jim was coming to Austin? It'd be big news because it's like, oh, these people are like the biggest in their industry and they're choosing to come to Austin. They're leaving LA, leaving New York. But now we've got two big fish in a tinier pond. So now we've got some enemy action going on here. And 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 the the, the twist is, the brilliant twist of my movie is that they decide that they're actually going to embrace it and, and they're going to meet each other and it's love at first sight. And, <gasps> and now the game, just like bride wars, the thing that I love about bride wars is like 20 minutes into the movie. They're like, Hey, we've got our wedding on the same day. Hijinks ensue 20 minutes into this movie. They both find love with each other. Now the hijinks ensues of who's going to have the better proposal. And so now they've got to like have these, they, they've all got their bloggers and their fans and their, their, you know, like hashtag team Kim, hashtag team Jim. And their fans are starting to sabotage their proposals while they're actively trying to one up each other and do the best proposal. So all these proposals keep falling through. So like maybe maybe one of them really likes Italian food. So they go on into a date to an Italian restaurant and, you know, there's going to be like a, a wedding ring inside of a meatball or whatever. But then all the fans like, you know, if you're on Twitch, it, one of the bad things to do on Twitch is just be a live streamer for daily life. Because like these people go into restaurants and then the restaurants get flooded with phone calls and it like fucks everything up. It's like, oh, wait, these famous viral people are here and now the restaurant is being flooded with paparazzi and phone calls and people are ordering like like uber eats and 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 whatnot are being flooded with like 
orders. And so it's just wherever they go, chaos happens and they can never get the true intimacy they need and they can never finish the proposal. So we're just going to live in this extremely comedic anime world of hijinks and one-upmanship. And ultimately it's a race to see who's going to propose the best, who's going to who's going to propose the biggest. And the ultimate big satisfying ending is like basically the Truman show where they realize if we actually want to have an intimate relationship, we need to communicate with each other and we need to act like we don't need a big proposal. It, it can be something small. It can be something intimate instead of going big, the, the smaller they go, it's actually the bigger they feel stuff like that, that kind of schmaltzy stuff. But one of the things that I really liked, I didn't get to talk about it uh, in our, my sassy girl episode, but one of the reasons why I liked my sassy girl. And one of the things that I liked that I thought could make a good, remake territory or american remake territory because are we have different versions or i have a different worldview and perspective on this kind of stuff is just my sassy girl tackles on that masculinity femininity a man has to act like this a woman has to act like this and the characters are kind of you know actively pushing against that and realizing that they don't have to act a certain way as long as they like each other. That's all that matters. I think you could probably have a lot of really good rom-com TM type stuff where you deal with like, this is what a man should do. This is what a woman should do. And we don't want to do that. We want to, you know, we want to do our own thing. We just want to be us. And so I think there's a lot of, Someone like you could probably take this skeleton, these breadcrumbs of a script, and turn it into a good social commentary. Um, the only thing I have is I could probably I could probably contribute some poo poo jokes. <laughs> I could probably get some really good poo poo jokes in there. Um, there was there were people got pooped in both movies. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, lots of bodily function grossness in Korea going on. It's nice to know that this is a culture where the things that come out of your body have some measure of cultural acceptance, but right. I, I don't know how much of it I need to actually see. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the proposal game. It sounds like a good title for a rom-com. I like it. I, yeah. I like that. And I, I like your original idea, too. I recently just finished a romance novel that has a similar premise to what you described in that the marriage is begun under false pretenses where this girl wants to marry this guy so badly that she's willing to sabotage his current relationship to get him with her. And then right. when he finds out, he's like, I'm never going to forgive you. Um, so you could have it be a thing like that where they hate each other because of this awful thing one of them has done. And then it's, you know, constant cat versus cat, them trying to make each other jealous and doing all of these hateful things to each other, not realizing that clearly they're bothered and obsessed with each other because they're still in love. 
Yeah, uh, that sounds. I just don't have the cinematic dictionary to to give any meaningful or fun specific <laughs> examples for that kind of movie. But I did think it was worth at least kind of doing a, a two soft pitches in this case because I, I thought, liked it. yeah, I thought the theme the the themes of communication and romance are ones that I find interesting in romantic comedies. Um. Right. No, communication and miscommunication are so often the points of tension and the drama in a romance. But for me, that is true to life. I think that all the time in relationships, you encounter situations where the lack of communication causes your trust in each other to erode and you have to come to a point of honesty to move forward. Yeah. And not just any, not just factual honesty, but emotional honesty, which I don't know. That is my jam. That's why I'm a rom-com <laughs> fan. But we have to land this plane. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, where you can find us, we're on Twitter and Facebook at Necromancer Pod. We're on Instagram at the Necromancer Podcast. We're on Gmail at Necromancer Podcast at Gmail. Like, comment, subscribe, follow. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you think. Yeah, we would love that. Rate, review, share, all that good stuff. Uh, recommend. I think we, we're definitely getting into recommend territory. That's where right. Where people can start recommending genres. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, if anybody has thoughts or things you'd like to see, uh, I'd love to hear about it. Sometimes I can't guarantee if you recommend a genre, I can't guarantee I'll pick a good movie, but I'll try. I'll try my best. Sometimes you get sometimes you get a nine, seven, six evil. You get a little pleasant surprise. Sometimes you get sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. Um, So anyway, on to Love Bites, our recommendations. Uh, Love chomps in this case. Love chompy chomps. Right out of those recommendations. Absolutely. So uh, for my part, last episode, I recommended Flowers for My Life because it features an actor that is also in My Sassy Girl. Now, I actually haven't watched any dramas that feature actors from this movie. Um, the lead, Suhyun, is in a drama called Mr. Sunshine. That's a period piece. Um, I think it takes place during the Japanese occupation of Korea. Um, but, uh, I haven't seen it, so I, I can't recommend it. Instead, I would like to recommend a drama, uh, coincidentally from the same year as Flowers for My Life called Coffee Prince. And... <laughs> Your face when I said the words coffee prince. I wish others could see this. I was hoping it would go on. What was the other one that you said? Bubblegum teacher, superstar? Biscuit biscuit teacher, star candy. I mean, that's just the way that these shows are translated. I, I, you know, I'm willing to imagine that in Korean, none of this sounds awkward. Um, But coffee prince it's a trope that you see often in manga and manhwa, which is the Korean version, Korean romance comics. It's interesting that in My Sassy Girl, he says, I want 
a story like the romance comics and he means manhwa. Um, so it's a trope, which is gender bender for oh, some yeah. reason. Maybe this is just a whole Shakespeare thing, but I've read dozens of girls comics, Asian girls comics that feature girls masquerading as boys for a whole range of reasons. So Coffee Prince is one of those stories where the girl is mistaken for a boy and grows to be really close to the hero because he doesn't realize that she's female and he looks at her as a friend and a coworker and et cetera. Um, I think it's a really cute little funny, silly rom-com and it has an extended cast that I think is also really sweet. Uh, and horror fans will recognize the lead, the male lead in Coffee Prince from a little movie called Train to Busan. It is Kong Yu. Kong Yu, who also is in Biscuit Teacher Star Candy, (laughs) is the lead in Coffee Prince, and he is adorable. He is one of my favorite Korean actors. I just... I think he's dreamy and I think he's sweet and I think people should watch Coffee Prince. It's a, I'm sorry. It's a movie or a TV show? TV show. Gotcha. One episode or one episode. Sure. That's a short TV show. One season or like a. All Korean shows, as far as I know, are one season unless they're variety shows. Yeah, that's the way to do it, man. I wish that we did it that way. <laughs> I way really I really wish that we did it that way because yeah. it means that not only are there so many more K-dramas that you can watch than American shows, they all have an ending, which right. is so satisfying compared to American television where there's no end in sight. And usually when there is, it's because the show's about to get canceled. And so the writers have to resolve everything in a few short episodes. Um, Having them all be limited series means that your writing has to be its A game or things are going to fall apart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're really good at running shows into the ground. So (laughs) we got that going for us. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give two recommendations, but the first one will be super quick. If you're into Korean revenge horror movies, but you want to watch an indie hipster LA American version, there's a movie called Bellflower that, I mean, just watch the trailer. If you're, if you're listening to this episode and you've made it this far, if, if this sounds like something you're interested in, I've only seen, I only saw it when it first came out. So I, ha- I haven't revisited it. I'm sure it doesn't hold up. It's it, it's it doesn't sound like a great movie, and it isn't necessarily a great movie. But it's just a really interesting, fascinating movie. If you're into film and you're into revenge stories and you're into Korean revenge stories, because it very clearly kind of has like an old boy esque like vibe kind of thing going on. This epic revengeness stuff. Uh, came out, I think, at around that same kind of time. But um, my real recommendation is going to be Nightcrawler. I, I, oh. I forget, you haven't seen Nightcrawler, right? No, I haven't. Man, I got to say, first of all, Jake Gyllenhaal has to be one of my favorite actors ever. And this performance is 99% wide. This performance is 
one for the books. This is this is an amazing performance, but it's uh, I forget which Gilroy it's written and directed by. It's it's by one of the Gilroys, um, and so it's it's just a very good. Again, this is like a movie. It, it has a lot in common with I Saw the Devil in terms of it's a hard movie to get through because the character is bad and he's creepy mm. and he's gross, but he also has all these great qualities about him. He's very motivated. He's, he gets things done. He's, he's very articulate and just, so he's got all these great qualities, but he's also a villain. He's a, he's a, uh, there will be blood Daniel Plainview level. Like the main, if you want main characters as the villain stories, this movie is for you. Uh, very good movie. It just, it kind of has like a network-esque vibe where it's got a few kind of monologues that encompass the nature of human greed and and the problematic things about capitalism and how sociopaths tend to do really well in capitalism. Uh, it's very timely very well executed. The The cast is amazing. Renee Russo is amazing in it. Riz Ahmed is amazing in it. Uh, and then Bill Paxton in one of his last performances is Ooh, absolutely, love Bill Paxton. It's, he's absolutely amazing. But, I mean, it's a two-hour movie. It's basically like Taxi Driver, where you are with Jake Gyllenhaal for two hours, and you get a completely unfiltered look at his drive and his madness, Nightcrawler, man, I love this movie. Holy smokes! But all right, it can be a little tough to sit through. So, Bellflower and Nightcrawler. Correct. Did awesome. I say Nightcrawler at any point? Did I combine those two titles? No, okay, no, good. no. You you did well. Thanks, Shira. <laughs> well, I feel. Like- <laughs> I feel like we're going way over time. I well, both I fully... these movies are bloated, so both of our both of our episodes yes. are just a tiny bit bloated. It, it fits. Okay, for this one time, you're just getting twice or not. I don't know what I'm even saying anymore. Please cut most of this out. Um, but um, all right, I guess that is it for this episode. Later, folks. <laughs> Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.